Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. This is a conversation with Tad Mayer, whose way of being right now is a career coach and previously had a number of other roles that connect together to the point you will hear his clarity, his confidence, and his enthusiasm for what he does. And it's culminating with two other practitioners in a book with an intriguing name, which you'll soon hear. And he's now become, among other things, a practicing author. And that's the way we tend to evolve. When we have learned something deeply, we have a feeling like we'd like to get it out there for other people to know what we know and how we got to know it. So here is Tad Mayer. Well, folks, I'm back. <laughs> Some of you who've been following my series know that there was a while there while I was offline working on Peter Bales in my book, but also trying to learn all the ropes that uh, Anthony Rivera used to pull for me to get these podcasts up and about. And, and as Tad Mayer and I were becoming acquainted before I started recording, he said, well, I, I thought of podcasting and, and I went yappity yappity yap about, hey, it's 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 really fun, but there's a lot behind the curtain that you have to, a lot of levers you have to pull. But I'm, I'm delighted to be back and to have an opportunity to meet someone who I think is going to be a lot of fun to talk with. So let's start, Tad, with telling us what the title of this book you have or are working on, because that really made my eyes, my eyebrows go up. <laughs> well, thank you. First of all, just Dave, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Um, the title of our book is Finding a Job That Loves You Back. And then the subtitle is The Three Conversations That Will Take You From Wherever You Are to Wherever You Discover You Want to Go. Wow. And and if, if I were to try to find a way to capsulize why I've been so fascinated with practice, as was Peter, for so long, it's because we want that, that job that loves people back for everyone and of any sort. But the key to me about that is you have to love the job in order for it to love you back. So that's the that's sort of the marriage, I assume, you you and your co-authors talked about. Tell us a bit more about your co-authors and, and, and why this book came came to the, the surface for you. Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm working with two co-authors, Justin Wright and Carly Ng Penn. Uh, we all met when we were all in conflict resolution and negotiation back about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, Justin now runs an international firm helping really facilitating complex problem to solve and helping uh, stakeholders collaborate so that they can really do better collective action. He's, he's had this goal since he was in college or before, mm -hmm. uh, and he's doing it. It's really exciting. He's even started a, a fellowship in order to promote diversity within the, the negotiation, conflict resolution, and negotiation space, mm -hmm. uh, mediation space. 
um, and he even puts content online so that change makers can have access to content to make their skills better so they can get more done. Before we talk about your other co-author, I want to throw an underline here. Uh, I've been fortunate to be in conversation, wide conversation with the folks in organization development and change, the academic program, for example, that hosts my library, the where I'm publishing the book. Uh, it has a doctorate in organization development and change, but you know, it's a large community, goes out to organization behavior, leadership, uh, all those uh, sort of theoretical realms. Uh, and the pitch that I have been making, maybe, maybe as an irritant, is we really could be getting some very yeasty ideas from actual change practitioners like your your book, your co-author, mm -hmm. if we had ways of making sure those bridges were, were solid and we were humbly listening to each other. And, and from those uh, things that are coming up from the field that work, or even the lessons that didn't work and why, uh, we can be much more involved in generating new and better theory. What, what do you think of that? That's interesting because I and I, I've, I've I've listened to you talk about and, and Peter's work on you know theory and practice being mm -hmm. separate but in, essential to each, yes, each other. Excuse me. Yes. Um, and I, I think I think you know I think Justin would agree because the he got into this because he had a choice. Does he want to be a decision maker, or does he want to help the decision makers actually be able to do something? Yeah. Come to agreement. Yeah. And so he chose very early. He was very, very uh, purposeful in his career where he chose that he wanted to become a facilitator so that he could facilitate that complex problem solving. Mm -hmm. And so it's been exciting because I've again, I've you know, I've, I've worked with him 10 years ago when he was on the path to doing this. Mm -hmm. But he started his own firm. I don't know, maybe seven years ago called Habitus Corporation that does this work internationally. So it's so exciting to see this idea that he had and passion come into existence. And so, yeah, so I, I, I definitely see that that they work together. So that was a job that he loves. And essentially, they're loving him back because he's getting business. And, and it's a tough world to keep a company going in this field. And therefore, you build a reputation and and a really good network of people who will refer you. Tell me about your other uh, uh, author. Sure. Yeah. Carly Ingpen is, uh, is a therapist and social worker. Um, and she also is the director of training for new therapists that join her organization. So it's been interesting to watch Carly's path also because she, again, we were all in conflict resolution together. And before that, Carly had been in fish farming and retail food and beverage. And, they get, and then we crossed paths in conflict resolution and, and negotiation. And then she got her master's in social work and then has become just, just so passionate about the work she does. Um, and loves it. And now she's actually, she's starting a new specialty. And in doing that, she's, she's pulling on what she, the, the lessons from the book, 
which are she understands how to make the connections she needs to get into the specialty. She knows how to get her foot in the door. And then she knows how to establish herself because of what we've all practiced in our job search, which are the, which are the, the tools in the book. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Now, I've, you've been very generous to your co-authors, but tell us and the listeners more about you. And then I'm going to I'm going to follow up right away on on uh, again back to the title end of the three conversations uh, did you have a, an eclectic background as well or <laughs> uh i I, th- I think i know you did because you sent me a lovely set of bullets <laughs> and, and i looked at it and said how in heck am i going to pin this guy down and the, i guess that's the point you don't want to be you want to keep living and growing right <laughs> I, I think living and growing is a good description because as I have, I've pivoted in my career. So yeah, I've been a stagehand. I've, I've been a media planner in advertising. I've been a pricer in airlines. I've been in marketing for hotels. Um, and then I got into conflict resolution and negotiation, which is where we all met. Yeah. Um, and then actually because of writing this book, shifted to becoming a career coach and consultant. Wow. And so for the last nine years, I've been a career coach and consultant and, you know, I had my own firm, worked for a firm that worked with, worked at all levels. And now I, now I'm a partner at a firm that works with, that works with senior leaders in outplacement work. And what's the name of that firm? It's called Essex Partners. Okay. And Based here in Essex, Essex Connecticut, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it may have its roots in the Essex in Massachusetts. Um, yeah. But it's a world, we, we work we work um, we work We're, across the country now worldwide. Yeah, there's a lot of Essexes, and and we borrowed a lot of names from England when when people came over <laughs> on the on the original boats. Uh, that is quite a, a, a swirl of background, uh, which I think most people are fortunate enough to be able to say yes. I tried this. I went this way. That way. But all three of you seem to lock down on conflict resolution and negotiation as a field of practice, as well as something that you wanted to get ever better at. Uh, What is it about that that brought the three of you together, do you think, and held you together? It's so the basis of, of the, so mediation is assistant negotiation. Yeah. So therefore the model used is the same for both. It's a negotiation model. Mm -hmm. And the basis of negotiation is understanding both your, what's important to you as well as what's important to the person you're negotiating with mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the, the, the book of the, of the trade getting to yes by Roger Fisher and Bill Urey. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, they call them interests. Yeah. And it's not just what's interesting to you. It's your needs, motivations, aspirations, dreams, hopes. It's what's re- really important to you. And that having a, it's interesting you saying the, 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 the word, the phrase way of being, mm-hmm. being anchored in what's important to people, I think is with a common bond among us and what we all have taken with us. Mm-hmm. Because it means when we join in conversation or in, uh, even in a difficult conversation with family, with friends, with clients, with potential clients, whatever it may be, we're anchored in the curiosity of understanding the other person before any, you know, it, it's not about convincing. It's not about it's it's about understanding before you can do anything. Mm. And, and I think that's really the power. Wow. Um, it. 
it's it's got to be deeply intuitive as well as intellectual then um isn't it tad to be able to particularly if you're entering uh, at the behest of people who may be be, be in conflict already or at least are, are the trust levels are relatively low uh i'm not sure that they want to just sit back and tell you the life story or anything like it but i think your earnestness and i'm picking up on it and i'm suspecting that would be true of your of your co-authors is picked up on and so they understand you really do want to know <laughs> am i right <laughs> absolutely that's it's that's and that's why i've become a, a coach the the one-on-one -on -one work um at, at the top of my linkedin profile i say that i'm a deeply curious interaction one-on-one -on -one interaction junkie yeah and it's because the the one-on-one -on -one deep conversation that is about something important is really exciting for me and you can't have that conversation you can't build the trust to have that conversation unless the other person knows that you, you, you feel some trust with you and under and, and and sees that you're trying to understand them in our larger field of organization change helpers mm -hmm. uh, there's always a sense that you're going to come in uh, with your stock formula or your bag of tricks or i don't want to sound too cynical but I remember in one conversation, Peter Vale, who did a lot of organization development work before he couldn't, was asked, well, how did you seem so comfortable and at ease? And how did you make other people at ease? It was a very tough situation. Senior leaders, probably one of the top companies. Yeah. And Peter said just what you said. Well, for one thing, don't even ever ever put yourself out as a consultant unless you are authentic and you got to start on that yourself but, but beyond that he said yeah uh, i have a few tricks in my back pocket but my they're there i know i've developed a lot of uh, ideas about how to make change happen and get people together to talk but i don't come out with my bag of tricks right up front uh and is that similar to how you um, get this kind of commitment and trust before you can go very far with someone? Absolutely. There's, and you may already know this, there's, there's an adage in coaching, which is to meet the client where they are mm -hmm. and you can't meet them where they are unless you know where they are. And that requires the listening up front so that you don't just pull out the cookie cutter. You know, if I, if I start all my, all my meetings with new clients as, you know, as career clients saying, all right, first we're going to do your resume, then we're going to do your LinkedIn, then we're going to do this. And they're like, wait a minute, my LinkedIn, I, 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 that's not where I want to start. I want to start over here. <laughs> oh my Lord. I, I can picture that. I can picture I can picture the one who would say, here's the formula. Just follow these steps. You're on step six. Now right. I'm sure there is, everything has a process to it, but I, I think the, the would certainly take the fun out of it for you, if anything else, if you're now in your career coaching role. And uh, it's it's terrific to coach someone who makes the right changes and can can say five weeks, a month or a year from now, hey, Tad, I got the job I love and they love me, too. <laughs> so that that's not a formula per se, is it? It's, uh, what, what do you tend to feel when you first feel you're getting to know someone? What does that come across to you as is there a click in your head? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, so, uh, I think well, actually, I'll, I'll tell you what I feel is I feel way too much confidence. Mm -hmm. um, because I often share with my clients after we've been talking for about 10 or 15 minutes 
is I give them a warning. And I say, look, you have to keep me accountable here. I've not been talking to you for 10 or 15 minutes. And I now I think I, I now think I know all the answers. I know exactly what you should do with your career. Ooh. And I'm wrong. <laughs> because I know like this much of your life and your yeah, life right. is this big. So, yeah. you know, yeah. so don't do so at this point, I'm not going to give you a bunch of recommendations. But if I do call me on <laughs> I think that's a great a, a great way of keeping your you in balance because it, it makes your your client or whoever you call them mm-hmm. appear. You're a peer. Yes. You, what I hear you saying is you probably know a great deal more about what you have to offer the world than I can get, even if I knew you for weeks. So let's get to that. Let's get to in conversation what things you know about yourself and this is essentially i keep coming back to the work that peter and i d- did and i'm doing and it it is important to understand that there's no simps there's no practice that's exactly like the other even if they have the same title they're in the same organization you name it, it be, why because each person invests in their practice uh all they've got, even if there's stuff in that practice they don't even know they have, it comes through in action. People pick up on it. So the more clarity you can help someone get to what they are putting into, let's say, a new job, uh, the more likely they are to take responsibility and ownership uh, for what they put out there. And essentially what they hold back, you know, and I don't mean in a dishonest way. Uh, one of the great things about moving from a, t- a practice to practice as you and your and your friends have is that each one pulls something new out of you. <laughs> uh, uh, what was it? Fish, uh, f- fish growing. That was one of the practices in your team. Uh, and uh, so oh, fish farming. Sorry. Right. Fish farming. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. I mean, so that fish farmer who is now uh, a social hey, worker and, uh, and doing great stuff. I think, However, the fish farming taught her a lot about it and about the people with whom she found, farmed fish. So, you know, I think every, every sort of uh, job, uh, if you put yourself into it, offers a real benefit of picking up on how to figure out what other people are about. So, yeah. I, uh, I, and I, you, you, use, you use the word clarity there. Yeah. And it's interesting, you asked what brought us all together, and I think what is still consistent in what each Justin, Carly, and I do is we're helping the people you work with gain clarity and empower them to make changes that they want to make. Mm-hmm. And I, it's interesting, I hadn't thought of it that way, and I, I think that's, that clarity is essential because people often know what it is, they just can't, they don't have the process to clarify it. Can't quite. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. And some people run through many years of their life with that uh, sort of gnawing feeling that they're not quite clear on what they have to offer the world. And I had a, a tough conversation yesterday with a former student from the previous century. That's how long it's been since I taught her. And she was laid off from a major company after many years, mm-hmm. knowing her job to the point where she didn't barely had to think of it. And now she's you know, out there <laughs> floating <laughs> and, and looking for a revenue stream. And I th- it just tears my heart out. Uh, 
so in our brief conversation, I was trying to help her do that. And, you know, I was certainly not as gifted as you are, but I was doing it out of, out of the feeling that it, it's, it's, it's too much to waste even a minute of one's life constantly pulling oneself back from putting themselves out there. And essentially, that's what she was doing. Uh, lovely person, but certainly not in a position to go without a, more than a good job, a job that continues to help her grow. But I want to compliment her for speaking with you. Yeah. Because of the three conversations in our book, the, 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 the second one is with connectors. And in that conversation, you were being a connector mm-hmm. because a connector is someone who either connects you to information or to other people or both. Um, and that's part of the building blocks of getting that next thing. So good for her for reaching out to you. And she's probably reaching out with, to other people too. So already building a process. I'll, I'll tell you what I did do. Um, over the years, of, uh, one of our alums uh, generously built a network here in the greater Hartford area for people in transition. Because hmm. we were losing a lot of good people through layoffs, similar to what this young lady experienced. And so he developed a, a network and a voluntary network. And he's been, um, he has a very top job in a major insurance firm, but he's putting his personal time into continually bringing people together and saying, here's uh, Amy, here's Tom, uh, perhaps you two can figure out some way to help each other in, in a very large scale now. And so that's what I did. I, I sent him uh, an email saying, here's, here's this young woman. Um, I hope, you know, that you can help her find out what your, your uh, network can do. And uh, she texted me today. She said, yeah, but uh, they seem like they're all executives. Now, here's someone who worked in a Fortune 10 company, and you know, executives are the scariest people on earth. And I responded very quickly and said, set that aside. You're as viable as anyone who's ever been in contact with Ted and his people. So put yourself in there. Stop, stop working on the uh, hierarchy and the bureaucracy before it exists, you know, and uh, she texted right back and said, okay, all right, I get it. <laughs> so that's, a, that's item number two in your three ways. Tell us about the, the, the three, uh, uh, because I think that anyone who's listening is going to be leaning in now and saying, okay, connections, that's important. What are the other two? Um. So actually, can I just make one more comment about your conversation with, with your former student? Absolutely. So in you connecting, one thing that she can do, because that intimidation when networking, which I prefer to call collaborating, yeah, um, is real and, and common. And one, a tool, which is when first having those conversations is ask about their experience first. Again, understand where they are because people love to talk about themselves and it starts to build that bond and she will feel a lot more comfortable in a conversation when she gets to asking for advice or whatever she asked for. If they've already had the conversation about that person, they've told their story. Yeah. So that can, that, that, so I, I, I hope that helps her because that could be. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll oh. pass that. I'm going to pass that along. <laughs> I, I probably had a chance to help I can't, countless students over the years, I'm even sure. after I retired. And why? Because they know that I made a point in my professorship 
to keep as connected as possible. Uh, with people like Ted, I brought a guest into class every week, uh, every course, no matter what, they would tell their story and the students could in, you know, ask them about themselves. Just to point out that particularly in a business school, business school, business is a, about 92% relationships and the rest is accounting and finance and marketing. And, and you know, so you've got to be curious as hell. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what I, I uh, promoted and I think it somewhat stuck. So tell me about the other two. Absolutely. First of all, good for you. That's great that you're such a support mechanism for your, your past students. Very satisfying. The students when you're with them. Um, so thank you for asking. So the, the, the first conversation or negotiation, because we, we built it on that premise, is a negotiation with yourself. Mm-hmm. And so the three are negotiation with yourself, negotiation with connectors, people who can connect you to information or other people or both, and then negotiation with decision makers. And you have those three conversations differently at, dif- at different points in your job search. And so when you're having, I'm going to use the word conversation and negotiation interchangeably here. So I'll go back and forth. I get it. Um, when you're negotiating with yourself, and let's say you're not sure what you want to do, you have to have that interest conversation that we were talking about earlier to figure out what's really important to you in your next role. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be clear on that because the, the conversation you're going to have with connectors at that point, again, when you're trying to find your focus, is going to be brainstorming with them for what might be a good, what ideas do you have for me? But they won't be able to come up with ideas for you unless you can give them some sort of information about yourself. Mm-hmm. And background is part of it, but it's also about what you do. So, for instance... Um, if someone said, boy, I, I, I don't know what I want to do. And they said, well, what did you like about your past job? Oh, I loved working with spreadsheets. I loved working mm-hmm. with numbers. I loved analyzing. Um, I loved doing a little bit of programming. And then I'm sure as I'm saying that your audience and you are thinking already of different roles that are popping up. Like, well, what about a big data analyst? What about a financial analyst? What about a revenue analyst? What about a business analyst? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, these different options pop up, which is where interests lead. When you talk about these interests, it creates different options that may fulfill them. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I uh, just uh, popped popped up the first uh, of the new uh, podcast episodes. uh, I think it was last week now that they did that with Natalia and she's worked for a massive company. And one where I picked the clip uh, for featuring it on LinkedIn is where she said, you know, I love complexity. I love uh, uh, having really tough problems. Uh, I don't know how I could be happy if I wasn't in the middle of all of this uh, uh, complexity, she didn't use that word. That's why I emphasize it, because to your point, uh, while she's in this huge company where your title somewhat seems to define you, what really defines her, I think, to anyone who relates to her, is she can wade right in. She has an analytical mind, but she also has a very good feel for people. She can wade right in because she's curious. She wants to find out why this particular 
broker is not getting what he or she needs from the company and vice versa. So yeah, that's a good one. Uh, she knows what she's interested in. Uh, take me to the third one now again. Sure. So the, the decision maker, that sounds pretty much like the deal. <laughs> right. And so what most people would think of that is when you already know what you want to do and you're interviewing for that role, the decision maker is the hiring manager. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty traditional uh, setup that people can understand. Mm-hmm. And that is, but earlier in your career, so let's say when you figure out, boy, you know, let's say I want to be, I'm not sure if I want to be a financial analyst or revenue analyst or, or business analyst. I need to find out more about those. One way is to talk to connectors and, you know, meet with someone who's a financial analyst, meet with someone who's a business analyst, et cetera, and, and learn about them. But also talk to some decision makers to see if, depending on where you are in your career, you can get an internship, you can shadow someone, mm-hmm. you can... Um, maybe do a project, depending on what background you've got, maybe you could do a pro bono project for them or go to a conference or get a training, but you can do these sort of modest investments, which often takes the okay of a decision maker, but it's not a full-time role hiring manager, but it's something else, but still it's, it's, and that's why you have to have these conversations differently at different points in your career. Right, right. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a paradox in a way. The decision makers who, who are the hiring decision makers are critically important to us as we're moving along, but they're also kind of scary. So if you haven't built up yourself in those first two steps, uh, of, in those first two types of conversation, the scariness of a decision maker might, again, make you want to withdraw, postpone, uh, well, I know that Doc Fearon lined me up to have an information interview with Vice President so and so, but ah, uh, you know. Uh, and then there are the other side of the coin, saying, "I'm prepared. I'm clear. I'm curious. I'm going to have that conversation." I get a call the next day. Hey, uh, that's a person who's got it. That's that's the sort of person we want. Send me more. <laughs> I would, I would say that that's where our book is filling a void is yes. we go deep on the informational interviewing, which a lot of books just say, go do informational interviews. Oh yeah. But to your point, many people feel, oh, my, my father or my past professor or someone said I should meet with this person. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to meet with this person. I'm intimidated. Mm-hmm. I don't belong. I'm an imposter, whatever it is. Yeah. And so we lay out a a way to approach that, which I've partially gone into, which is to break it down in the simplest form you can, which is to first ask about, you know, first, it's your agenda. First, understand that when you ask for an informational interview, it is your agenda. They're expecting you to run the meeting because you asked for the interview. And they're sort of misnamed because it's really an informational meeting, but they're called informational interviews. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, and so you first have to get curious about them as the first part of the agenda and ask them, you know, how did you get into this role? How did you become a financial analyst or, mm-hmm. and then tell them a little bit about yourself and ask them, boy, what would, what are your thoughts about, you know, I'll tell, what's important to me is this, 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 and this, what do you see? How do you see me as matching up with being a financial analyst? And what advice do you have for me for getting in? Yeah. 
And as people have more and more of those conversations, they'll be that much more prepared for that interview because they'll understand the cultural, they'll understand uh, who the thought leaders are, they'll understand what's important in the field. And many people jump from, oh, I know what I'm clear on. I need to go have an interview. <laughs> and they skip that whole step with the connectors and they don't build up what we call your access capital, yeah. which is that understanding and yeah. connections and et cetera. So you're intimidated when you're, in, when you're in the interview seat and you don't understand even what the lingo is. So you don't come across as a match and you don't get the job. Oh, I saw that too many times. Um, and, and you're absolutely right on. Remind our listeners, because we are moving down the clock here. Again, yep. the title of the book, the names of your co-authors, the three, the three conversations, just sort of put it around there, and how can we get a hold of it? You're very kind. So the name of the book is Finding a Job That Loves You Back, Three Conversations That Will Take You Wherever You Are, From Wherever You Are, to Wherever You, you Want to Go, You Discover You Want to Go. Let me say that again. <laughs> but wait a minute, you wrote that sentence. <laughs> I know. It's a long subtitle. I apologize. No. <laughs> it's the three conversations that will take you wherever you uh, see it's we I've we struggled with this. Let me so the three conversations that will take you from wherever you are to wherever you discover you want to go. And I love that word discover. And thank you for yeah. staying with me on that. Now where where can we buy this book? Um, so, uh, by the way, the, the authors are, uh, it's oh, by Justin Wright, Carly Ingpen and Tad Mare. And, uh, at this point we're, we're just finalizing the manuscript. Great. So it's Great. not quite available yet. And so yeah. it will be available at, you know, at, at Amazon and Barnes and Noble online, et cetera. We'll be, we'll, we'll be at all those. Um, but we're looking at a launch later in the year. Uh, I know that feeling. Uh, I mentioned uh, at the beginning that I uh, asked Peter asked me if I would take the manuscript that he worked on and please find a way to get it out to the world. It's only taken two or so years. We found the right publisher. It's going to be coming out digitally, which I'm I'm excited about. Uh, oh, I can I can do a lot of uh, upgrades and changes. I can put in links to uh, episodes of the podcast. So I wanted something that allowed me to you know, move freely around the cabin, if you will. Uh, I've had other books published and more conventionally. So we got that going. Uh, but then you live with that manuscript. It's in your body day and night. <laughs> uh, it's now all worked out. Uh, the last set of copy editing is being done in the last set. The cool thing about digital is I've, I can put the book out now. I'll be sending you a link. It's out. I mean, they can start reading uh, Peter had 32 conjectures about the nature of practice, and there are 19 of them available right now. So it's kind of a fun project, but it's it's so important, to, I think, if you got a book in you, as you three have, to talk, negotiate with yourselves to do it. Yes. I've heard so many people say, oh, everyone's got a book these days. You can sell pub, blah, blah. So what? Everyone's got a podcast every day. But look what we're doing. Everyone, it, it's important as a way of giving a gift, I think. Uh, that you, you, And if 10 people read that book and change for the better, or 10,000, which I'm sure would be a lot more fun, great. And you've got it. It's out, and now it's part of who you are, that book. 
Yes. And I will say, in addition to negotiating to actually get it out, I would say negotiate with yourself to stick with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, we yeah. had so many authors tell us for every book, every page you publish, you'll write 100. And they could not have been more right. We've been working on this for I, almost 10 years. Oh, that's and, terrific. And it's just, and the manuscript is, is, is good. It is readable. It is approachable. Um, so we're excited. We're very excited. That's wonderful. Well, people have learned a lot in our conversation. I think, Tad, I know I have because they've met someone who's moved a career along with two other colleagues who've been found common cause around communication, negotiation, and helping people see their way forward. That's fantastic. That's a, that's a wonderful work in the world. But you are also codifying a lot of what you've learned together in this new book. Uh, and I'm going to thank Lizzie Freudman, uh, previous podcastee, who yes. said, hey, you should talk to Tad. They're doing some pretty terrific stuff. Lizzie's right. Uh, it's, it's been wonderful. Do you have a, a, I have a minute. Do you have any question of me? I've been, I've been pumping you for information. What would you like to know in a, in a flash? <laughs> well, it's interesting. With, with your work on social inaction, mm -hmm. as I talk about the three conversations with yourself, with connectors, and with decision makers, how does that land for you? Um, with because you you you're you're you have some very deep work on conversation. I I, I watched son, one piece that you know went very did. analytical on each sentence in a in a conversation. That's right. That's right. Um, and so, for instance, in the connector piece, which is which is about the the richest piece, what I guess what comes up for you as I talk about that, if that's a fair question. Oh yeah, and I, well, the way it, the way the world works is my son Dave. Uh, who's at Johns Hopkins, went, worked a PhD at the University of California, Santa Barbara, that was quite unique in that he is a sociologist, but he also had a real keen interest in conversational analysis. He put that together and worked through uh, a process leading to him uh, coining uh, essentially the notion of socially enacted organization at the conversation level. And he would take you into the molecular level of a conversation and the point and how it connects with practice, which is a wonderful thing for dad and son, is that you can find the beginnings, the middles, and sometimes the end of an emergence called a practice, called an organization, called a team, called a whatever we want to call it. But it emerges. It's in the moment in it. And it it becomes real to people in their minds to the extent that they can talk about it and keep talking about it. And so that, to me, that, that I found that fascinating because while we're talking all these macro theories about organization, huge organization change, what we would say, oh, let's take it down to uh, <laughs> literally two minutes of conversation. And we use it as an exercise. You'll see it on the webpage now. We did a little... Uh, workshop at a conference called Evolve, where we took a few less than two minutes of a conversation with one of my former students who happens to be in a key Microsoft position in the Near East. And we had the people who were involved just take it apart, look for these indicators of what we call social inaction. And they found them. <laughs> and, and so the so what of connecting conversation with uh, an exploration of probing the nature of something greater, like 
the nature practice is I can't think of any other way that I would want to do it. Uh, survey research, you know, all the other, for me, just give me what we just had a really rich conversation. And, uh, here's one key point. The notion of social bond is something that Dave worked into that hmm. without the, to the connector point, you working to create a bond. And from there, good things can happen. If you can't reach that point where there's enough mutuality and, and you kind of know when the bond is set, you can almost feel it. It's, it's just people talking to each other, but conversation is work of the best kind. <laughs> well, it's just one, one thought on that is with many clients, I ask when I talk about networking, they start to cringe mm -hmm. and I ask them, okay, on the scale from when I mentioned networking from you want to crawl into the fetal position to I'm really excited. Where are you? <laughs> and most of them are on the half of the spectrum of, of the scale towards the fetal position. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the job search, when we've talked about collaborating, we've talked about helping other people out, which we didn't talk about much here, but, mm -hmm. and what often clients say is the most rewarding part of this search has been the talking to other people, which is, which is wonderful. They've, they've, they've yeah. got all these new people in their life. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and given that we've been living in pandemic isolation for so many months and just beginning to creep back into face-to-face -face interaction, uh, we don't know what we've lost, but I think what we've gained is a high, high appreciation for being able to get together with people. And what we used to say in Maine, Chew the fat. <laughs> right. uh, okay, Tad. Well, thank you. Um, I'm going to turn off the recording, but let's talk a minute afterwards. Okay. Great. Thank you so much, Dave. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.